Welcome to the Alt Asset Allocation Podcast. Exploring alternative investment opportunities available to the everyday investor. Here's your host, Ben Lakoff. Hello and welcome to the Alt Asset Allocation Podcast. Today's interview is with Vic Chander. Angel investing is often touted for very high returns. Uber, for example, based on the IPO price of $45 a share, it's lower now, would have netted you a cash return of 5,000 times your initial seed investment. I'd take that. However, it's really not that easy. Here's some stats. 90% of new startups fail. 75% of venture-backed startups fail. Under 50% of businesses even make it to their fifth year. This interview is with Vikram Chander, who is the founder and managing partner at Crew Capital. We shared an investment panel in early 2020, and I was fascinated by how, how well thought out his macro views were in addition to his great track record in VC and angel investing. Vic talks about his experience with angel investing and how to get involved with angel investing syndicates, which is his favorite way of investing in startups. If you're interested in angel investing, I'd encourage you to check out episode number two of Investing with Startups with WeFunder. They're making it much, much easier for the ordinary investor to get involved with startups. Also, before you listen, please don't forget to like or subscribe to the podcast, or even better, leave a review. This helps more people find the podcast and keeps this thing going. It really helps. Without further ado, Angel Investing with Vic. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. I'm here with Vikram Chander, who is a startup enthusiast and investor. He's the founder and managing partner at Crew Capital. Welcome, Vikram. Thank you. Good to see you. Yeah, likewise, buddy. Honored to be one of your inaugural guests. Yeah, absolutely. You and I shared an investor panel a couple of months ago now, probably about three months ago. And I've always known you as an angel investor and very much keeping on top of financial markets, but I was pretty impressed by the way that you, you had a very broad macro outlook on uh, a number of different asset classes in addition to, you know, angel investing and startups. I'm really looking forward to this conversation going into a number of, of, of different topics. I wanted to start off today just a little background, who you are and where you come from. Sure, absolutely. I am currently in my hometown of New Orleans, riding out this pandemic, this moment in history like everyone else. But yeah, so originally from New Orleans, my mom's a social worker and a Head Start teacher, and that definitely informed a lot of my, the way I view the world. And my dad was a civil engineer, so the stuff you can imagine, he designs those oil rigs and bridges and heavy construction and industrial type stuff. So pretty standard middle-class life here. Big, you know, the unique thing for me, and it gave me kind of informed my worldview is having a, you know, being an, being an immigrant, a first generation in the United States and having a pretty big and extensive family who, for the most part, all of them have made it to the United States and have done quite well. And they've done well in different industries. Obviously, the sort of stereotypical ones for, for Asian Americans, medicine, law. But we have had some, you know, tech people as well. And they just caught their wave at the right time. So despite being in, from New Orleans, a pretty small market, I was able to see just there's a much bigger world out there. So, you know, went to undergrad at a tech university, Georgia Tech. My first job, and it's actually very relevant right now, was with the OCC, the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, which does the oversight for national banks. And I was just a young pup out of school, had no idea what I was doing, but that actually was the sort of the excess of the biggest banks in our country leading up to the global financial crisis that has sort of in a way put us where we are, but it informed my view of the way money moves around the world and to think macro level. So that sort of was the impetus of where my interest in investing, my interest in finance started, but it also never really felt like my world. I'm just a guy from New Orleans, you know what I mean? And so, but that kept me in the game and then I ended up having to go through uh, a pretty unusual event, Hurricane Katrina, that almost happened immediately. One year into that job, I basically had to come back home, rebuild my parents' house. And then I got my foot into real estate. And then real estate was one of the other industries that was blossoming in the late 2000s. 
and had a lot of bubble-like qualities, but in New Orleans, it was, much, it was a lot driven by the re rebuilding of the city. So, you know, fast, you know, go back a decade, we're sitting in a very similar environment. It was, uh, it felt very bubblish, financial assets, real estate assets. I'm excited for my future. I realized I need a little bit more training, start applying to grad school, and the kind of the world falls apart due to some of the indulgences, let's call it that, of the uh, biggest financial institutions in our country. And it has a lot of similarity that it was like my life came to a stop. A lot of people who lost their jobs, life came to a stop. Fortunate for me, I got into business school and I was in school from 2010 to 2012 and was able to see how the world as a whole kind of patched up this massive hole that was created, you know? And you quickly realize that self-policing of the financial system is, is exactly what you would get. You expect results to sort of get. And, you know, I finished that. I graduated out of into a pretty, you know, rocky economic environment. Jobs were limited. You sort of took what you got in 2012. But you could see the tea leaves that we're going to have a nice fluid decade ahead. So most of my classmates were getting jobs as opposed to when we got in, we were totally afraid that there wouldn't be a, you know, a future for us. Just like it kind of feels like that it does right now. I decided to go the more entrepreneurial route. I went to India, where my parents are from, and my dad specifically had a, you know, was born into a, a family that was a physician. His father was a physician, my grandfather, and he built a hospital, so that property was sitting there. And because my dad was an only child, which is kind of unusual, we, and he came to the United States, it was, we were left with sort of this reality of either we're going to lose this property if no one goes and attends to it, or me, essentially. <laughs> has to go back there and sort of sort this out. So that's what I did. So it was 2012, 2013, 14, I was bouncing back and forth between the States and India, and it was so much fun. I mean, it really gave me perspective. In 2015, we were able to exit that, we repositioned it, we marketed it for sale, we sold it, and that created an, uh, a financial windfall. And then I became, you know, someone who watch the markets from a, from a, you know, kind of an interest perspective, almost like a sport to actually being in the game. And from then on, from 2015 to 2020, I have been dabbling in angel investing and also investing into the financial markets. You know, we were on the back end of a pretty nice bull run. Things were getting very frothy in the last late, two, you know, late 2010, just a couple of years ago. And I was just riding that wave and kind of figuring out where my foot in the world would be. So that's sort of my story. Definitely. Awesome. I'm curious to dig in a bit. It sounded like you started dabbling in real estate in New Orleans mm -hmm. post Hurricane Katrina, which was exactly. great timing, I'm sure. And then also real estate in India. If you could please talk about high level, what are the differences of dealing with real estate in a place like India versus a place like the U.S. or specifically New Orleans? Well, I, I have to preface this by saying they were shockingly similar because New Orleans post-Katrina, New Orleans <laughs> a banana republic to begin with, post the greatest natural disaster in American history, it was even more banana republic-ish. Ironically, the temperature and the humidity and the heat feels very similar as well. So I was prepared in both circumstances for a lot of just frankly headache and stress and both presented both those realities. The only difference was I was probably a decade apart in age and your willingness and the way you value your time changes as you get older, correct? But I will definitely say that what I learned in New Orleans, sort of the frustrations, the lines, because you can imagine post-Katrina, everybody needs something done with their property. There's so many transactions happening. So there was just a lot of waiting. And in both circumstances, the properties that I worked on in New Orleans and the property that I was dealing with in India, they had to be transferred ownership to somebody who could be a better steward to them, frankly. So really I was in, in New Orleans specifically, I started by gut rehabbing three properties. One is still a rental property I own. The next thing I did was I worked for a developer and we did prefab housing off-site and we redeveloped some of the mid-market you know i would say b-class commercial real estate in the city that had been flooded or destroyed because of katrina 
And the long story short was we were getting it to a place and then handing it over to an investor who can bring it to market and make the, you know, make the property as highest and best use. And my project in India was very similar. Obviously cultural differences, language barriers, but just a lot of similarities. I mean, the business makes you, gives you thick skin. And it is actually one of the things that, you know, created my interest in the liquid financial markets and angel investing because real estate as glamorous it can be and is as lucrative as it can be it comes with a lot of lot of pain and heartache and just requires a lot of patience you know and and, and nurturing but yeah fortunately for me both you know periods of my life both projects ended successfully and i was able to kind of get out of both markets right when they were peaking nice well that's always good timing although as an investor it's always pretty bad well it's it's tough if you make big wins in your first couple of investments then right. it, it kind of shapes the way that you invest going forward right i'm right. curious so liquid investments it sounded like you got more interested in but angel investing is a very illiquid investment with also Absolutely. lots of headaches. I'm curious how you balance those two because they're very different. Well, let me, let me, I should probably back up and say the impetus or the interest in angel investing came out of those real estate experiences. Real estate, even though you can work with a team, it's a very specifically, typically a, a smaller team. Your development team can be three, four people. Almost everybody else, your architects, your attorneys, your surveyors, et cetera, et cetera. Are, are third parties. So you are typically in an office with two to three people. And in my case, there were always, always males. So it was, I was looking through the lens of the world through, you know, a very, with, you know, just, just a handful of eyes, you know, on my team. And when I finished that pro project in India specifically, it, it really was so much self-driven and when I finished that, I was like, I want to go in the exact opposite direction. I wasn't thinking duration of investment. I was thinking of return on investment in time. And I was thinking of that in terms of relationships, friendships, you know, working with a team that's going to grow and scale fast, all those human dynamics that, that, that make startups uh, a little bit rocky and dysfunctional. For me, I was craving that having worked on, you know, projects, you know, like I said, in a very small team or just by myself, self-directed, I love the fact that, you know, when I finished the project in India, we were, I was entering a world where, you know, it was pretty easy to get funded as a startup. And, and it was easy to kind of hire and market for positions. People were willing, young people were willing to take a chance on a startup in return for equity or just to be work on a project they're, you know, passionate about. And that energy drew me in. So I wasn't thinking about whole period of my dollars, investment dollars. I was thinking of what kind of ROI will I get as far as the people I'll meet, the community I'll create, and the network, frankly, that I will build from scratch because I'd spend so much time abroad. So that's what brought me into the startup world. Awesome. Just to dig in a little bit deeper about startup investing, angel investing, I mean, what is kind of your overall investment thesis? What kind of investments do you look for? How do you find them? If you could just expand on those things. Right, so I, I would say that it, it, it's, it's been dramatically shifted in the last several months, naturally. I think COVID is an absolute accelerant, game changer and brick wall for certain industries. And I don't think of startup, startups as a whole as an industry, but I definitely think that some of the things that I was looking at, the deal flow I was just evaluating just a handful of months ago, I just think you're like dead on arrival, you know? So, and you feel for every one of those founders and teams, but you just, you know, when there's a crisis, you have to kind of triage the most important things and trends get created and consumer behavior changes rapidly and it can stay that way for a very long time. So for me, like, you know, my observation was, is that I, I moved to San Francisco in 2015. And I was there in 2016, 2017. One of my best friends in business school was working at 500 Startups. So that was my first introduction. I mean, 500 Startups is obviously a very well-known incubator, accelerator, and, you know, they make pretty generous investments into a large group of startups. So I was able to sort of see 
and get access to deals very early. But I also had that sort of East Coast view slash reality of also working in real estate that I wanted to see like a Excel performa with like a handful of tabs, you know, the PowerPoint alone and a five minute, you know, elevator pitch or one minute elevator pitch was never enough for me, but it gave me, you know, you could see the way the world was trending. You could see what you could see how the youth was looking at uh, the future. So I actually was pretty stingy with my investments in the beginning because I had this huge amount of skepticism. I had been through, you know, a couple of crises, you know, like I've been through Katrina, I've been through the global financial crisis and I was like, but I was very fascinated too. And I was, I was, I was proven wrong many, many times about how quickly startups and, 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 and young teams can, you know, create a, uh, a community, frankly, and a loyal community. So my thesis has always been, if I can't add value through my investment dollars, but I find the team or the founder interesting, stay engaged, help them any way I possibly can, introduce them to my network, send them a podcast episode, three months down the line, that might be relatable. And I achieved the third out of my three objectives, which is I created a network and a community that I always wanted. And I have one in the West Coast now. And when I moved to New York City in 2018, I did the same thing and I created one in New York. And, you know, I've heard from a lot of them in the last four months, mostly like, hey, Vic, <laughs> what would you do, you know, or are you still investing? And frankly, like a lot of my priority in the last couple of months has been moved to my portfolio, which was, you know, actively managed in the market and the market has been very volatile. So I have been giving people more, you know, moral support and helping them thinking about maybe consolidating or even ways to unwind some of their positions, some of their, you know, strategies. So I think we have to, you know, we're, we're entering a period of at least, I think another 12 to 18 months of uncertainty. So you, you know, it's, it's, it's cut and survive as much as possible, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. Are you still actively angel investing right now? Or it sounds like it's I'm more scaled of, back. I am. And, and, and I think I'm, you know, I think, Investing is, is very broad. So deal flow hasn't actually reduced for me. It's gone up. I mean, the, I'm part of two or three syndicates. I'm part of a syndicate with Jason Calacanis. So I get two deals a week from that. The benefit of that is they're doing, they're doing demo days virtually. So I literally do not feel like I'm missing out by not being in New York or San Francisco right now. I have deal flow from a, my alumni university. Like I'm part of the Georgetown you know, angel community and deal flow hasn't, you know, come down from that either. So, but what I, what I have, what I have been thinking about is duration now, because there is a cost of capital. Now there is an opportunity cost when you have private, I mean, sorry, when you have public companies like Amazon or zoom going up 30% in a month, I mean, that's, that's a pretty decent return on an investment, on an angel investment. Like, let's be honest, like most of them are going to bust. Some will 100x and the likelihood of you getting into that one, those ones are pretty low. So if you get a five bagger or a 10 bagger, that is sort of the numbers I was looking for, for uh, a startup to achieve in five years, 10 years. Yeah, and you can get expected to be locked up for that whole time, right? Exactly. To have liquidity the whole time. It's a game changer. Exactly. You can get that in Hertz, you know three hours. <laughs> oh God, please no. <laughs> yeah, no, but the, the point is, is that it just, you know, I, I'm not, I, I just, you know, I'm not at the place right now where I, I have to be a little bit practical, you know? So what I do is, you know, I allocate a day, half a day a week to go through those pitch decks and maybe one out of 10, I, re, I loop back to them. And I said, listen, let's have a conversation. Let's do a Skype call. Let's do a Zoom call. I want to learn more. Whereas, whereas you know, not, not, not more than six months ago, it was like, I need to get in this right away or it's going to be oversubscribed. That's how quickly the world has changed. You know, I now feel like I have the leverage. I can tell them, hey, wait a week, you know, wait two weeks. And so that's sort of where I am right now. And I certainly, my intention is to get back into it when we have a little bit more clarity on the world. You know, the ones who are positioning and setting themselves up or already were in the space, the benefit from this work from home environment 
I mean, I, I am actually, I am, I, what we saw in 2010, 2020, I think we'll see that 2X, 3X, you know? The pace of technology is not slowing down. The problems of the world is not, you know, they're escalating. So that's just, all these things are making it ripe for rapid, rapid growth in the startup, you know, ecosystem, in my opinion. So it sounds like you have a good amount of deal flow. Most of that's coming through the syndicates you're involved and the alumni network. Do you also get cold email pitches every once in a while, these sorts of things? I do, and I wouldn't call them cold. They come through, you know, it, it comes through a network I have. You know, after business school, a lot of my friends went into the startup space or they went into, frankly, their asset allocators. And if you're an asset allocator in the last, you know, say 2015, 2020, almost everyone had a portion allocated to angel investing. So in a weird way, I have these like professional screeners out there. So when I get a cold email, it's usually coming from, you know, one degree or two degrees separation from me. And I actually have a lot of confidence in, in, in the uh, cold emails I get because uh, it's usually like, hey, Vic, I got your email from your friend, my, your friend, you know, X or Y. And that tells me like, okay, it's worth checking this one out. So am I actively hunting as much as I was in 2015 and 2016? I'm not, but circumstances have changed, you know, and you have to sort of, you know, my brand is still, you know, my brand, my, you know, my professional ambitions are definitely being informed by what's happening in the world. So I'm being flexible because I think you have to be flexible during this time. Absolutely. I'd be curious, you're, it sounds like you're seeing a lot of different pitches and startups and different categories. These are spread out uh, across a number of different industries. What key well, themes or macro views do you have? What kind of types of startups are most interesting for you at this point? And obviously this is being recorded during COVID time, maybe sure. it's changed over the last couple of months, but what, what key areas spike your interest the most within the startup angel investing scene? So I, I, I think, you know, we started off the conversation talking about that I'm the founder and managing director of Crew Capital. Crew Capital is, is, is something I created. And that crew part of the capital is in New Orleans, we have what's, we have these, uh, we have the tradition of Mardi Gras and we have these tribes, these, these, these community and we call them crews. And it's sort of like kin, it's your people. You know, and, and it's, not a, it's not an offensive term and it's not a device or, you know, it's just, it's like, hey, that's part of my, they're, they're my crew. You know, we kind of, you can think that's like playground talk, but it's, it's K-R-E-W-E. So for me, when I got into sort of the space, angel investing, I, I realized that I wouldn't have to like weed it down, come up with a thesis or come up with a, uh, a space that I enjoy because the deal flow was overwhelming. So the crew part of the crew capital is I, I love startups that have to either have to do with community, creating community that, cre you know, things that create joy, things that can go viral fast, frankly, you know? And I mean, I think the biggest and most notable example in the last like two years is probably TikTok, right? And that would be a dream to be in that one originally. But, you know, I always trended to things that where people were taking advantage of our changing relationships with technology and our changing relationships with our work habits. We are obviously spending way more time on our phone. We are now connecting virtually. So I see those trends actually not changing, but accelerating. You know, the founder, the co-founder of Twitch actually went to my high school. And, you know, if you told me gaming 10 years ago was going to be so important that if Twitch went down, you know, for 24 hours, people would just like, you know, lose their mind or they lose their accounts. So, you know, it's, it's catching the way that we are interacting and engaging and creating friendship and meaning in our life. So those are the trends I like. Now there's many, many, many trends happening right now and, 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 and headwinds for work from home, headwinds for SaaS, head, headwinds for, I'm oh, sorry, tailwinds for SaaS, tailwind for uh, work from home. And you can come up with little niches and, and, and theses around each. But for me, I've always, you know, focused on founders and teams that can get people really passionate about meeting in person or meeting virtually. So that's what I, the space I like to work in. Now, charging for things is, is, is another subject, you know, 
but I, I, you know, as much as much flack as we work God, I've always been, I mean, I was a huge fan of it. I think they fundamentally changed the way people thinking of, think about work. And, and, and maybe they'll have an opportunity to, to kind of re-enter the space and, 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 you know, you know, but the one thing that's un, undeniable is that almost all of us have been into a WeWork. You know, we've connected over a WeWork. We've chosen to work or do a coffee meeting or whatever at a WeWork over a coffee shop. And that's something that I'm really curious about is how we connect in the workplace and exchange ideas going forward. Yeah, it's, it's wild to see how quickly the rest of the world kind of accelerated. We've been working remotely and in these, these communities of location independent workers for a number of years. And sure. it's crazy now just being out in California, I'm meeting people from New York now say that, well, I can work from anywhere sort of mentality that we've been saying for years. And it's, it's crazy to see the rest of the world catching up with this. Wait, you mean I can actually work just as efficiently from anywhere in the world. And it's interesting to think through the longer term implications. So do people start leaving cities in right. mass? Do they start going to foreign countries where the much lower cost of living, these trends that have kind of started within this location independent digital nomad world now rippling out into the broader society. I think it's very interesting and, and, and your thesis with crews and communities becomes oh so important in that uh, in that aspect it's very interesting it's very it's very we should put this on the table that it, it is it is very much a privilege and a luxury that that you know a few of us or a handful of us have but the you know had before and a lot more people are coming under the fold but it certainly is a it, it is a privilege it comes with the pros and cons but it is a trend, it is a shift, it is a, it is a, it is a drug, frankly, that once you experience, it's so hard to go back, as you and I both know, right? So the opportunity and it is in its infancy. And I think the unique aspect is, is that we now have some very well-paid employees of some very well-known brands and companies, some of the biggest in the world, I, you know, have said that their employees may be working remotely for another 12 months. Until there's a cure, right? I mean, some have publicly said that, which is God knows when. For sure. So the, the ripple effect in the commercial real estate, the ripple effect in residential real estate, there will be a lot of opportunity and work for people who are willing to put their head down and fix or tackle or ride these waves, these ripples that are going to be coming out of, you know. So I'm actually ultimately optimistic. I think it's going to create a ton of opportunity and just, frankly, a new reality that we're all going to, you know, you know, get to experience. Oh, yeah. So it's exciting. Well, it's exciting for the workers that now are location independent, can work from sure. anywhere, but it also should be very terrifying because me expecting a salary here well, right. now they can hire my position and I don't have to be in this position, in, in this location. So they can hire from anywhere in the world at this point. Well, my salary here, there, there's a ton of people willing to do it at here or right. even here or here or here. And they can do just as good of job as me. And if I don't have to be, if it's not location dependent, then suddenly right. the smorgasbord of available options for that position get very large it gets a little terrifying as well. I'd be curious to jump into, it sounds like a lot of your angel investments you do through syndicates. If you could walk my listeners through how a syndicate works, kind of the nuts and bolts of how this process works of investing in an angel investment through a syndicate. Sure, absolutely. So just, just to be clear, I mean, this is all relatively speaking, if you look at the duration of time and we think about financial markets, investing in startups, angel investing, it's, it's, you, could, you could say it's, it's, it's pretty much in its infancy. You know, it started maybe less than a decade ago. I think for me, it, I think it really just took off when AngelList was founded. AngelList is sort of a, almost like a, a Reddit, a Craigslist, a forum, uh, you know, a, a meeting place for startups, founders, people looking for jobs and investors. 
with a very basic and clean UI. It, it is the, you know, it is the LinkedIn for the startup community, frankly, as far as I look at it. So it, the beauty of that is you could be sitting anywhere in the world, Kansas, you know, Alaska, doesn't matter. You can sort of see who's hiring, what jobs are out there and trends. And, and frankly, it was a way to democratize angel investing. Angel investing, typically the rules state is that an investor has to be accredited. So they have to have a person, you know, personal milestones, either a salary or a liquid net worth. And fortunate for me, I qualified for that. So what I initially did when I started on AngelList, you know, and, you know, I said, hey, I'm blah, 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 at Crew Capital, I'm an investor, startup enthusiast. And within 24 hours, I was getting emails like, hey, do you want to look at my pitch deck? Hey, blah, 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 blah. We're doing this, we're doing that, can I have a minute of your time? And I literally took every phone call. And then when I was in San Francisco, I was able to do a lot of them in person. And it was incredibly informative, but one thing that didn't inform me was that there was literally no barrier of entry <laughs> to this space. So I quickly realized that I'd be, you know, uh, this game is about quality deal flow. And just like anything in the world, the good stuff gets gobbled up quick, right? So I was like, either I step out now because it's you know I'm 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 a little bit too late to the game. It's going to take me a decade or half a decade to build a network, and do I really want to put in that time? And then the syndicate structure kind of came out, and some of the more experienced, well-heeled investors in frankly, Silicon Valley were like, this is an amazing opportunity. I can do way more deals, take more, way more shots on goal and put a fraction of my money. If I get enough qualified, qualified investors, because there's no shortage of appetite of people who want to angel invest. I just have to get them under a structure that legally allows me to kick them deals and take a small carry if a deal is successful. And so once I learned that structure, I felt like I fit the perfect, almost textbook version, a textbook definition of what a, an angel investor would be. I'm enthusiastic about the space. I qualify, you know, financially. I have a little bit of, I have enough training to know what I'm doing. And once I sign up to be a part of a syndicate, I have, a, I mean, I, I do love the space. So I, I mean, I, I generally will help any portfolio company. So for me, it was then, you know, you, once you get that step, you know, that, that far in the road, you get on AngelList, you discover, you know, kind of how this space works. You discover sort of salaries, trends. You can see without even having to put too much effort that, you know, there's, there's 15 meal delivery companies coming. Okay, that's going to be a trend, you know. And then you find out who the players are who are doing a lot of big deals. So in this particular case, I found uh, a syndicate that I liked, Jason Calacanis. He's a well-known angel, prolific podcaster, and just knowledge sharer. And I just resonated with him. I resonated with his East Coast mentality. And frankly, he's just a beast. He's doing two, three podcast episodes a day. He's a fanboy of uh, startups. And I just resonated with them. People resonate with different, you know, syndicate leads. I resonated with him. I applied to join. I got in. It was a pretty brief interview. And since that day, I get two to three deals kicked to me. And the way that works is I get a pitch deck, usually a link to a 15-minute to 30-minute pitch from the founder. And I can do it all in my pajamas from the comfort of my home or the comfort of my Airbnb in Bali, you know what I mean? Which I've done both. And once you're in that world, you get a magnitude of benefit. You don't have to do a deal or you can do 25 over the course of a year. And the more shots on goal you have, the more shots, you, the more likely you will, you will hit. But the learning you get from being part of a syndicate, and I've been in a syndicate long enough where I've seen some deals go from C to A to B now, where it builds confidence in you. To take to take more shots yeah it makes sense it sounds like the biggest and and jason calcanis he's he's big time right i mean his twitter handle is jason <laughs> he's been an early adopter of a lot of these things so I'll, yeah. I'll link those uh i'll link those in the show notes i think it's right. the syndicate.com right. mm -hmm. it sounds like the biggest benefits of joining a syndicate like this is 
access to quality deal flow, right? They're doing filtering, they're filtering out these beautiful website vaporware sort of startups for you so you, they, you, know, right. you know they have a bit of quality and they pass some filter, right? So, so they weren't, and then there's, there's, there's actually several benefits. In, in, in this particular case, in Jason's syndicate, he actually runs an incubator and an accelerator. So for him to make his minimum 100,000 investment, and that's his personal check, the company has to have come to the Bay Area, at least they used to have to have come to the Bay Area, spent six weeks with this team and gone through. So you feel like you know that they've hit a certain threshold of, you know, grooming, frankly. So not only does he weed the pretty websites and weed the slick PowerPoint decks, he brings them in person, make them go through this, you know, frankly, dog and pony show, but, you know, makes them the best result, you know, the best sort of, you put it like the best way to kind of judge the future success of a, of a, of a company that, that early on is the ability of the founding team to convince the next round of investors. And I feel Jason does a fantastic, and his team does a fantastic job of grooming that initial team to go out for that, that process. The second thing is in this particular case, we are, I'm part of a Slack channel and I've gotten together with investors in the syndicate in multiple places around the country. And Jason puts on about two or three events, you know, pre-COVID in real time. And I've attended two of them. And you can meet, you know, you can meet your, your colleagues, your counterparties in different parts of the country and see what has attracted them to angel investing. And so I've created a, actually a pretty good investor network just through joining a, a syndicate. Nice. Yeah, I, I can see that definitely being, I mean, network is everything, right? So I'm curious, what's the minimum investment value into these startups? And then what is the cost of, of going through a syndicate such as this? Sure. So in, in Jason's, you know, Jason has, is really big on d democratization. So he, I, you know, it's hard for me. I'm not quite sure offhand how many angels, LPs are part of the fund right now, but it's a very, very low bar. It's 2K minimum investment per deal. Typically, the more popular deals get oversubscribed. So then it becomes like, almost like a waterfall method. So uh, minimum 5K or minimum 10K if the deal becomes extremely popular. But literally 2K is the minimum. I think that he takes almost a standard 220 fund management and then carry fee. But I have to probably double check that. But it's, it's actually quite, you know, the, the two only comes into play once you make an investment. That makes any sense. So there is no cost until you write your first check into the syndicate and that becomes part of the money that the team is quote managing. So I get all this information, this community, this network, this free learning from, you know, looking at startups and deals and power, you know, presentations and sort of, you know, founder pitches virtually for free. So I, I think if you can get yourself into a syndicate, if you resonate with a syndicate lead and they have a pretty, you know, easy, low bar for membership, I say do it if you love the space. And, and, and the quality of deals, I mean, you kind of alluded this a little bit, but presumably the qualities are a lot better than something, you know, one of these crowdfunded startup websites where you can do a minimum of $50 like Republic or WeFunder. But what sort of valuations are you seeing on most of the startups going through? What stage of the company? I mean, are they pre-revenue? They've actually started to get a little bit of product market fit. Right, right, right. So... The one thing I, I, you know, again, this is where it's really important to find your investment thesis, you know, your investment, you know, philosophy in aligns with your syndicate lead. So I mentioned Jason's from, he's from Brooklyn, New York. He is like no pre-revenue, no pre-product. He wants to see 10K, 5 to 10K MMR. Like, you know, he wants to see things that are off the ground. He wants to see a paying customer. Of course, there's exceptions, but he's not that 
visionary, like, here, here's, here's, you know, a million dollar check, go do what you want. So, you know, but has that served the syndicate? Well, well, he's done six or seven investments into quote unicorns. Com.com, which is why, you know, hugely popular was the first deal done by the syndicate. Unfortunately, I wasn't part of the syndicate then, but there's been a handful of notable ones. Lambda school, just ones that if I drop dropping names that I think the world will know about and not realize that, you know, they were baby, you know, baby companies, part of a syndicate almost never came into the, you know, came into reality. So nice. I've seen pretty quality, you know, deal flow. Good. Last one on angel investing. It's a fascinating space. What advice would you give to somebody? I mean, you've alluded to this in a, a bit within our conversation, but what kind of main advice would you give to somebody who wants to get started in angel investing? I would besides, say like- Besides be an accredited investor. <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, I think, you know, I think that one of the ways to rapidly, I mean, to become an accredited investor is well, listen, I, I think there's things in the works that's going to actually remove that barrier as well. So be patient as far as that. I think, I think that is one route, you know. If you have the opportunity to work for a startup, do that. If that ship has sailed, get to know many, as many startup founders as you possibly can and be as helpful as possible. It's, it's never a smooth ride. Right. So you got to be a therapist, you got to be a coach and you frankly got to be like a, a low level employee. If they're, if they're dealing with the question that you don't have the answer of, it's not like, Hey man, I can't help you. Or Hey, Hey, you know, Hey, I, I just, it's not part of my domain. If they are a, you know, your, your, your classic founder, they have so many things that they're working, juggling that you might be the person that has to kind of go out and find that for them. So take that approach before you write your first check, because once you write your first check, you're going to have to do that plus more. So kind of put on your, you know, your, your critical thinking, your coach, your life coach, your mom and dad hat. And if that's part of your DNA, you know, apply that and see if it's for you in the first place. If you're just starting out, I, I just think, you know, if, unless you go, you're like, you know, you've got a credential, you went to one of these elite universities, you can get yourself to Silicon Valley or New York City, and that's going to maybe the way you had to do it. You know, that, that was one route. I think, you know, I think going forward is just like I said, getting on AngelList is free. You know, creating a website, creating a company, creating, a, creating an investment thesis for yourself before you make a first investment like I did is a way to go. What passion, you know, what are you passionate about? Are you passionate about renewable energy? Are you passionate about, I mean, you can just see the world's changing. Pick one of those niches and say, hey, like, I may not have dollars to put behind something right now, but I have time, you know? And, 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 and the sooner you pick a niche in the space, the sooner you can, can find people who can kind of pull you in and find the, you know, into the, into the world of angel investing. Good stuff. I love it. Shifting gears a bit, it sounds like you really spend a lot of time monitoring and trying to understand the bigger pictures behind financial markets in general, these mega trends, these things that are impacting the publicly traded markets. Perhaps share a bit of your macro view kind of on global markets as they stand. And at, this is being recorded the end of July, but something that's, you know, will last a little bit longer than like in the next month sort of thing. Absolutely. But we did this well, like a couple of months ago and, and the sky was falling. And, and if you would have told me where we are right now, and as far as financial markets, I would have thought you were talking about like 2025, you know, not five months. Who knew, right? Who knew, right? And, and do we even have a free market system? You know, is this capitalism? Are we living in sort of some sort of dystopian socialism for the rich or people who are the investor class and you know capitalism and, and free markets for the rest 
you know, I'm dealing with a lot right now, you know, from a, from a, from a moral standard, there's a lot of things happening in the world, there's a lot of things happening, fissures and, and problems and cracks that are happening in the United States that are getting exposed to a magnitude scale that I've never seen before. And it's actually, for me, it's very, it's very, it's very positive, you know, you know, the, the amount of, frankly, the sort of the extent, the amount that the Federal Reserve and, 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 and fiscal and monetary policy that's happening across, you know, across the world, not just the United States. It, it's, it's like a, we get to see firsthand a sort of a dry run at like modern monetary theory, MMT. We're going to see literally what uh, universal basis of income, you know, things that we thought would bring down or, or dilute or kind of just break our system. We, we're getting a, a dry run at it right now. And I think the reality is that, you know, the rich have done very, very well. The investor class has done very well. And I'm actually very, very worried about inflation in certain aspects of the economy, specifically financial instruments and real estate. As you know, as an investor, somebody who's invested in real estate, you get a cost basis once you buy a property and then you pass it on to your renters or your tenants. And that has made living in most American cities for your standard blue collar, you know, bartender, waitress, chef, FedEx driver, a task that's almost too, too tall to bear, you know, and should it be that way? So I am, I would say that we're at a point where it's not sustainable. So it's going to have to be addressed and it's going to be addressed pretty soon. You know, it doesn't matter who wins the election. And this is taking a very like American and, and, and U.S. centered viewpoint. But for me, ultimately, I am, I am, you know, I'm, I'm positive. I feel like the world will, you know, I feel like I don't look at my bottom line as I look as, as my, as my kin's, my crew's bottom line, you know? And if, you know, I find, I, I think that things are breaking, we might have policies that, you know, make certain aspects of the economy grow a little bit slower. But if it brings more people into the fold, I'm perfectly happy with that. You know, I never got into investing to just create wealth indefinitely. It was to improve and solve, you know, solve problems, improve, you know, people's conditions. Those are the startups I always gravitated to. So I feel like we're going to have uh, a tremendous amount of opportunity. Right now, what I'm seeing in the short run is I'm seeing a lot of you know, party politics and, you know, Fed backstopping of financial assets. And I'm seeing frothy market. <laughs> I'm seeing, I'm seeing, you know, I'm seeing a lot of like gambling behavior. I'm seeing a lot of like euphoria. I, I have no idea where this is going, you know? And I'm also seeing Uber drivers who pick me up and say, hey man, like I, this is hard. Like we're scared. You know what I mean? Like you're my first pickup of the day. It's like 2 p.m. You know what I mean? So for me, I'm looking at this event as, a, as something that might inform my, my role in the world. You know, I think I'll always be an investor. I love the Jim Rogers. I love the motorcycle, you know, you know, investment biker. Like, I love that story. But I am, I ultimately, I care about my, like, fellow humans. And, and I feel like this might, you know, this, the world's going to present opportunities for me to back and support startups and companies and make investments that, you know, get the world to a, quote, a more equitable place. That's what I'm excited about. Yeah, I'm curious, everything that's happening right now, I mean, I just keep using the word unprecedented because it is in fact unprecedented. We don't know this QE mm -hmm. unlimited, yeah, all of this stuff, right? The stimulus printing, it's just, just wild. I'm curious if, what narrative do you consistently hear within the markets that you completely disagree with? I mean, right now, it's, uh, there, there's a lot of people thinking about, you know, sound money. There's money flowing into gold, silver, and Bitcoin right now because of the eventual inflation and debasement of the dollar. Is there any, any investment thesis that you consistently hear that you disagree with? There's several. <laughs> The one, okay, I'll start with the one that I, 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 I mean, you, you said it perfectly. Like we are, we are debasing the currency. 
And it seems like there's a race right now. It's a two, two horse race between gold and Bitcoin. And it's like, you know, and in, 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 in their role individually in, in, in an investor's portfolio is gold to, is gold an insurance policy? Is gold a hedge against a falling dollar? Is, is gold a, a tool to, are we going to actually barter in gold when, 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 when all hell breaks loose? And then, and then. And in Bitcoin, which kind of more on a, on a, on a, on a sort of accounting level, I understand. And it makes a whole lot of sense. And I'm a, you know, I have, I have a percentage of my portfolio in Bitcoin, but from an adoption level, you know, we, we ultimately, we, we, we know that we trade dollars. We have the, the full weight of a U.S. government, you know, behind our back. But we also transact in, you know, in, 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 in fiat currency because we can do debt instruments. We can write loans and you can do IOUs. And as much as someone who's been so like flabbergasted and discouraged about by the basement and sort of what's happening in financial assets and sort of the way they're being priced and sort of risk being eliminated because trillions of dollars can be literally thrown onto the, you know, into, thrown into the, in the marketplace overnight. I am all for a blockchain-based system. I just don't know when or how we'll ever get to a place where it's mass adopted and we can do contracts between me and you for services, goods, exchanges of property, whatever. I'm hopeful. And I've seen some extremely, extremely smart people saying, this is the event, just wait and see. I'm just, this is the one I'm where I'm like, I bought it. I don't know why I bought it. <laughs> you know, I don't know where my, where the price would have to go probably like I'm out up or down. You know what I mean? So it's, it's one where I'm, I would say I have the biggest blind spot beyond that. I mean, I, I was, you know, the, whether the bears went out, the bulls went out, I have no, clue. you know, is, is Tesla overpriced or underpriced? I have no clue. How, how are you positioning your portfolio accordingly? I was. I'm taking momentum strategy, frankly, because I, I have been playing the price volatility of a lot of these, uh, you know, Robinhood stocks, for example. But it, I, th I think, I think the thing that everybody who is in sort of my age bracket with my amount of years of experience, we all were formally trained in business school to do a, this kind of cash flow analysis, to study historical PE ratios, to kind of price the market as a whole and price an individual stock. And all of us tried to do that in March and April. And we sat on our hands, we had weekends and the market just blew by us, right? And some of the smartest people, the most people I respect the most are like, are saying, I, they don't know. So who am I to say, you know? The one thing I see is I see Stocks, I've seen markets, I'm seeing investors favor certain stocks, certain industries, and it's just going and it's ripping and it's not slowing down. So do I sit on the sideline and say, hey, is this price correctly? Is it cheap or expensive? Right now I'm just riding that train, you know? And it's been a learning experience for me because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that once this all settles, we will have to come up with new pricing mechanisms for this market. But right now I, you know, I am, join the party, frankly, cautiously, you know, my hedges, my hedges are in, are in Bitcoin gold and a large allocation of cash right now. You keep your finger on the pulse of a lot of these financial markets and startups. What are your top three sources of information to kind of stay on top of all of this stuff? Is listen to me that I think one of the, and I was a, uh, and I am a Spotify investor. Uh, I think I think podcasts are phenomenal. I've been incredibly amazed at you know a market event can happen, and two hours later there's a long form hour and a half plus episode with one of those market participants. It it's like, or I can have a three minute you know soundbite on CNBC. So for me, if you find podcasts that you resonate with. 
where the host of the team can get on, you know, high level guests, you know, when real time events are happening, hit subscribe. Your learning will go through the roof because it doesn't matter if you have an MBA, it doesn't matter if you're 20 or 60, the world is changing rapidly. So we all have to kind of sit and learn, you know, sort of pay attention because we have no framework for, for a lot of the things that are happening. So it's almost like a, a very democratic system. You follow the right people, listen to podcasts, listen to the right podcasts. You know, the information is right. It's right out there. As far as, and then I have us, you know, I think, I think I do think that second kind of peg is my, my community and my network, you know, have a community that is in multiple different spaces, have a community that's, you know, in the startup world, have a community that's physicians. One of the most valuable thing for me is that I've had a lot of friends who are doctors and nurses. My brother went to medical school, my couple best friends did. So I get to kind of hear their perspective on COVID, the world, washing hands, wearing masks. And I don't, you know, it's just, it's, it's just another, it's just another, if you're young, another, like, another reason that, you know, have a big and broad, diverse community. So people in all different industries and fields, it doesn't have to necessarily have to inform the way you invest, but it can inform the way you think and inform arguments. So for me, it's been podcast, my immediate community. And, and just to add to that immediate community thing, if, if, if your life presents you the opportunity travel, because you'll make more friends from around the world. The world doesn't think the way Americans think. The world thinks in its own unique way, you know? And they value different things, you know? And, 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 and you know, things are happening in Germany right now that are significant and important, you know, just as important as things, you know, are happening here in, in, our, in our borders. So think high level. And I think the third one would be, you know, just I'm informed a lot by my life experiences and that just takes time. You know, this is my third, second financial, third financial crisis, I would suppose. I've been through a natural disaster. <laughs> I've been, you know, I lived in India for two and a half years. So I have perspective, you know? So it, it gives you perspective that like your, your personal bank account can go up and down, but you know, to the rest of the world, you're un, unimaginably wealthy, you know? So that's, that's the way I've been thinking. That's the kind of woo-woo answers. I mean, you know, read the news, read the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> you know, follow the right podcasts, CNBC, you know, those type of things. If you're in financial markets, if you're in other things, you know, find, find the people who, you, you know, have the credentials or get the people, maybe they're not credential, but they just are prolific and they get, get great guests and listen to them. Definitely. I'm curious, do you, have you read any books recently that have helped inform your macro view of financial markets or anything like that? Uh, no, but I have a whole list of them because they're getting recommended on every podcast I listen to, right? I would say my, my, thoughts, on, my thoughts on books right now are, are it's good to have a historic perspective, but like I was listening to a podcast with Mark Cuban just from yesterday, and he's like, we're, we're living through in real time an, M an MMT experiment, you know? So what book is going to inform me on that? There's so many books that said if we did this, these events will transpire. Well, why not just sit and watch? They're right? all theoretical too. Yeah, They're right? All theoretical, right? When I was in school a decade ago, when we saw what the Federal Reserve did to sort of QE1, QE2, QE3, to stabilize the financial markets, you know, I, we were told like, this is a once in a lifetime event. The magnitude of what we we're doing in 2010 was never gonna happen again. And here we are a decade ago and it's tenfold, right? So, it's not, am I advocating not reading books? I'm saying the amount of time it would take me to read one book, I can knock out four or five podcasts. Kind of actually just go out of my you know, apartment and see what's happening in the street as well. Just walking around and listening to your neighbors, listening to your, you know, people at your CVS, your store, takeout. Talk to your Uber driver. Because that is the real world, right? What they're experiencing, what they're feeling, what they're, you know, that is what's happening, you know? Very valid. Well, Vic, how can my listeners find out more about you, Crew Capital? Where, where do you want me to send them? 
I mean, I'm, I'm on Crew Capital on Twitter. I have my Crew Capital website. I have a friendly, you know, drop down, say hello. Instagram is just my name. Facebook is just my name. But yeah, just stay informed. I mean, I love to talk to smart people. I love to talk to informed people. The world is changing right in front of our eyes, you know? If you have an expertise in one particular field, I love to learn too, you know? And uh, so yeah, just reach out. I'm pretty easy. Awesome. I'll link all those things in the show notes. Anything else for the listeners? Just keep your eyes open and be, you know, be, think long-term. I just think, you know, like, I think there's, think about the idea of, you know, return on, on your time beyond just dollars, you know, friendships, relationships, community to me has always provided way more dividends. And, 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 and now, frankly, with, with Zoom and, you know, you can put yourself in some really interesting eclectic communities, people around the world. If you couldn't travel before, well, the travelers can't travel right now. So, you know, finagle your way into a, a Zoom call with people who are interested, you know, into things that you thought you would be into. You know, take advantage of this time. We won't have it again. And yeah, just stay positive. The world always comes back, it's, you know, it lands on its feet. Very wise words. Hey, Vic, really appreciate you coming on today. Thanks so much. There you have it. Thank you for listening. Really appreciate your support. Show notes, transcript, links, and more can be found on our website at altassetallocation.com. If you'd be so kind, please share this with anyone you think might be interested or get some value from this conversation. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out. I'm always happy to hear them. Lastly, if you're on YouTube, please like the video or subscribe to the channel. If you're listening to the audio version of this, please subscribe to the podcast and or leave a review. This really helps more people find the podcast and I really appreciate it. Thanks again and hope you have a fantastic day. Happy investing.